Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Playing With Power podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things CEDH, EDH, and Magic the Gathering. I am your host, Ryan. And I am your host, TK, and today we are going to be talking about our favorite CEDH decks, but not before we talk about our favorite sponsors. Our merchandise is available in our stores today. We have dice, coins, playmats, tokens, sleeves, all of you alike. Go to playingwithpowermtg.com and help support the channel. Get your favorite nerd in your life something to play with in the new year. Uh, you can also support us on Patreon. Patrons get access to all sorts of things, including our Discord, Webcam League, Playdays, early access to videos, names in the credits of our shows, exclusive videos, merchandise, and the chance to be in our shows. So please go to patreon.com slash playingwithpowermtg and help support the show. And if you're looking to sponsor the podcast, please reach out in the email below. And as always, we do a Patreon shout out every episode. And today's Shout out goes to, it says TK's mom. Thank you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> she's giving us, she's given us so much. And she <laughs> gives us just a little bit more. Thank you, TK's mom. <laughs> Thank you so much, mom. I, I love you. Uh, and also, a great shout out to Audrey Sellers. Thank you so much for supporting the show, Audrey and mother. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yes, thank you, Audrey and TK's mom. <laughs> thank you for for all of your support. That is super funny. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, today we are going to be talking about our favorite CDH decks, which is very exciting. Uh, this is a topic that I love. I just love chatting with you, Ryan. I'm going to be honest with you. I'll be coming up with these episodes. I'm like, oh, I just want to talk. I just want to talk with Ryan. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, today we're going to take a trip down memory lane for each other and kind of figure out what what's our favorite CDH decks. Um, and there's a lot of ways we can tackle this, but I thought a great way to tackle this was talking about the first the first CDH deck, I think that's a story for you and I that we both know like very well, but maybe people, you know, who have just like tuned in, um, you know, to these recent episodes that we've done, maybe don't know. So I just wanted to give you the chance to talk about your first CDH deck. I know it, but, you know, tell the audience kind of how that started. What what was that like and how that evolved? Yeah. And one of the things we also want to talk about tonight is kind of where these different cues and stuff kind of come up full circle around and what kind of helps drive people into the styles that they see today from a you know player perspective or a CDH journey that you might take. You know, we're going to talk about our personal accounts and definitely we're going to be gushing over our favorite CDH decks tonight. But how did that shape us? And taking some of these cues, how does it shape you? You know, because there were some things that I learned along the way that helped me make future deck choices or made me realize what I in certain areas that might even have nerfed me a little bit in some places where I could have stood to have grown a little bit. Um, and so not only are we going to be just talking about our favorite CDH decks today, but we're also going to talk about a couple of lessons and stuff like that, that derive from, you know, this journey that we took in all of these different CDH decks we had. Absolutely. Class is in session and you guys are screwed because I'm the worst teacher, but we're here. <laughs> Hope you crammed. <laughs> <laughs> this will be on the final, everyone. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, you wanna you wanna kick us off? Talk about your first CH deck and how that went. 
Sure. So uh, those of you who do uh, know me and the channel for a long time will have no surprise as to what this particular CEDH deck is. But for those of you who are maybe newer to the channel or maybe newer to the podcast who don't necessarily know who I am and what my favorite CEDH deck is, basically uh, my very first CEDH deck was Goto Bandit Warlord. That is to this day my favorite CDH deck. And that's not, uh, there is sentiment that usually happens when you have your first CDH deck, the deck that gets you into the format and lets you fall in love with it. But it doesn't always translate into the deck that you use to this very day. A lot of people, you know, grow out of certain things, maybe because they entered for budget reasons, or maybe they entered for, you know, like, oh, this is an accessibility thing. Somebody let me borrow this stack or something like that. Or maybe, you know, we printed up some proxies and I just fell in love with this particular list. But then eventually they figure out where they wanted to go. But a lot of times your first selection is kind of where you want to gravitate towards you know it has a certain play style that you might be in love with and go to bandit warlord was mine um there are i i've kind of told the story many times before and we'll put a link in the show notes and in the cards on youtube and stuff like that of kind of where the story of playing with power came from so we don't need to rehash that tonight <clears throat> but the long short of it was is that you know the arms race of a typical high power a casual edh table led to cedh and goto bandit warlord was the first one i had selected now i selected goto bandit warlord because it was mono red i gravitated towards goto because i am a mono red player at heart whenever i delve into any format or i look into anything else that's in the world of magic whether it be commander whether it be 60 card no matter what it is i always kind of steer towards the red color first not not necessarily only just mono red only but it is the first color that i look at when i'm making my deck selection and Goto Bandit Warlord was kind of at the time, now because this was a while back, this was 2018 that I was actually looking at the different decks that were available. And Goto Bandit Warlord was just getting its footing into the CDH realm in a way that actually catapulted it from like a tier two or tier three, if we talk about tiers, up to an actual like formidable deck. There's a whole history of Goto. We once again won't go into that, but uh, but basically I was like, I'm a red player. I like to go fast. I like to be the threat at the table. I like to be the one you answer. I like everyone to say, okay, we're all sitting down and they want you to look at my commander and say, he's the problem. That's 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 basically my style. That's what I like to do. And Goto Bandit Warlord has always resonated with that style for all this time. And so that's that's my initial like gushing over Goto. Absolutely. Yeah. I, like I said, this is a story that I, I've heard, you know, before, and I know some people have to, but uh, every time I hear it, I, I think like how different it is for, you know, some people to, because a lot of people find that first deck and are like, mm, that's actually not what I really wanted and throw it away and then find their next thing. But for you, it was kind of like, actually, no, this is, this, this is perfect. And, and I think that's really cool um, to have something kind of almost be like, What's the what's the term that I'm looking for? Just like a match made in the stars. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> I was I was lucky. 
is really what I was, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I, there's a lot of people who, like you said, they started with a deck and that deck just wasn't it. They found out what they didn't like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you know, I've seen people that start with blood pod, which is, you know, Tim Natana. And they were like, Oh, I like stacks and I like slowing down the game. And it just, just really hard to resonate because there's such a learning curve and stuff like that. And so they have to kind of find out the hard way, whether or not they do want to go stacks, but not that route, or if they just don't like stacks in this particular format or side of the format. And so that's just one path of many that got, that got taken. I consider myself very lucky that I was actually able to choose a deck that resonated so well with me and that I fell in love with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially because now, you know, there's so many different tools that people can look to. And when it comes to finding decks, you know, you have a cdh.guide or the database or, you know, our videos or any other, anybody else's like channels. Top 16. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways people can go about like looking and doing the research to find it. But that stuff was not around like even like two years ago. Uh, was not around until you really had to like you know do word of mouth and really like figuring out okay is this what i want is this something that's cool um and so it's kind of crazy how much that side of like finding your identity because that's something that i think is really understated in commander is the whole idea of people's identity being shown through a commander um and i think that's something that a lot of people, even in the casual sphere, love about Commander is the fact that this deck tells you something about me. Um, whether it's I just like being, you know, really big, strong boys because I, I play Gashaf, or it's, mm-hmm. you know, no, I like uh, going wide, I, I, that, something else, like Elf Ball or something. There's always some a story with everybody's Commander, and I think that that still rings true into CDH, and I think that's really cool. A hundred percent. I think that EDH commander, whatever, whether it be CDH or the casual side, um, your deck is a form of self-expression. Like you said, it tells you a story about who you are or, or, or what you like. And those who like to say, well, CDH doesn't do that as much. I tend to question that because that is absolutely not true. I see people all the time play a certain style or certain variant of a certain play style, they might switch the face up commanders, but the approach and the strategy is still the same, which lends itself to this same premise that it is still a form of self-expression. You know, I know there's tournament grinders and those people out there who like try and formulate the best decks and stuff like that. And sure. Yeah. But what's leaning you into turbo because you think it's the best strategy Maybe, but also, you know, other people might think control's the best strategy and they might grind that, but, you know, you still do kind of gravitate towards what you like. There's outliers, of course. There's exceptions to every rule. There's going to be people in the comments that say, that's absolutely not what we do. We do something else. That's fine. That's okay, too. But for the most part, Commander is a form of self-expression and CDH is no different. Absolutely. 100%. I know when we were talking earlier about kind of how that has how your initial commander evolves over time in terms of your choice, like that's not always going to be the one to one translation. That's kind of closer to my story, because I know for me and I think we've talked about this before. This is not this is probably the first time that I've said it on camera, but the first deck that I played uh, was Kess, uh, Turbo Kess. 
Um, and that was about, yeah, it was great, great. It's, so, it's <laughs> so, such a good deck. It was so, so much fun. Yeah, and that was a deck that, so how I started actually was, this was about two years ago. And so the CDH.guide was just getting started. Ken Bauman, um, who shout out to Ken, he probably has no idea that this is actually where how I started. But we, I started through him because he was starting the um, kind of, work for that guide and was going on Twitter and was doing these live updates on like, okay, this is what the site is going to have now. This is what it's going to have now and was asking for feedback. And so back at my LGS, back when I was in college, CDH night was the night to be at the store. It was Friday night magic. And then Thursdays were their like competitive pods. And you would have casual pods that were like, you know, there was like four or five that were firing off. But then the other half of the store was were people who had been playing for years and just had the resources and everything and were playing competitive magic all the way through. And I was like, wow, I want to do that. And so I looked at resources online, found Ken Bowman's tweets. And the initial thing that got me like into it was the fact that it was proxy friendly. I've been playing modern for years and years and years and, and had been spending i was used to spending a ton of money on magic and so to, for <laughs> someone to be like oh you actually could just print some stuff off and most people would be okay with it i was like oh sign me up i'm, I'm there <laughs> say less right now you've got me <laughs> you got me and so i tweeted at ken and asked okay well what deck should i play and we exchanged a couple tweets or whatever and he uh, we initially we got down to Kess. I was like I love to sp chain spells that's like I love combo I love chaining spells I want to cast a lot of things in a very short amount of time I want to play solitaire while everybody else looks at me that's how I like to play <laughs> magic and so he was like, yeah Kess might be good and I went to my local library I printed it off <laughs> I was like paid six dollars because I wanted it in color I Printed it off, snipped it up, <laughs> sleeved them up. <laughs> big spender. Big spender. Six dollars. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, it's crazy, too, because, like, compared to that, I also had, like, a full, like, uh, Yogmoth combo, like, <laughs> sleeved up and everything. And it's like the comparison's completely different. Um, <laughs> the most expensive thing were your sleeves for your deck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I, I sleeved it up and everything, and I started playing on Spell Table. And I remember falling in love. I was like, wow, yeah, I'm sold on this format. I'm sold on this deck. I just wheeled like three different times and was able to win on turn three. I love this. This is great um yeah and, and seeing kind of the progression from then to there because now i love cast it still holds a very special pl place in my heart as one of my favorite decks mm -hmm. but what i play now um is very much i'm very much similar to you in an aspect where i like to be the threat at the table i the feeling and rush that i get from doing a thing and everybody's like oh. most people hate that I love that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, mean, I want to sit down at a pod and have like Elden Ring boss music play. Like that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and so uh, I'm, I gravitate towards like things like Kinnon, things like uh, uh, right now I'm playing Narset. I, we did the overlooked commanders and I've, I've been playing with Kai and that's a very like Kai's list. And it's a very like similar feeling of like, Oh, I'm unstoppable. 
that's what I like. I don't I don't want to I love combos, but I love dominating a board. And that's something that kind of came out of me just trying things out. And so while Kess is something that I enjoyed, it was really like my third deck that I'd say that really like enlightened me. Okay, okay, this is what I want to play. This is kind of how I like to do things. So it's really interesting that you said that. Yeah. That's awesome. <clears throat> I've I've played against Kess many times, especially in the early days, the one of the original pods before Playing Powers got started and some of the uh, people in the very first episodes, you know, way, way back in the day, early 2019, <clears throat> one of those players was named Don and he had a Kess deck and it was exactly that. He loved that Grixis pile of just always having an answer, always being able to chain the spells together, putting together this complex puzzle to find the win. And he loved that whole concept and he used Kess and What's interesting about that is that a lot of times that journey will follow its way up from high power casual into CDH. And he did the same thing. He had a high power casual deck of Cass. It didn't have like the CDH style win cons, but it had a lot of the other stuff. And it was definitely about that play style. And we just kind of took it to the CDH level when we finally started playing CDH. And it's really, really interesting that you said, hey, you know, I like chaining these spells together. I like being the threat at the table. I like being the person that says, okay, we need to deal with this person here. So make sure you're mulliganing for the interaction for that specifically, you know? And yeah. I think that's super cool to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, if for me specifically, I know if I, I don't want to do anything that feels fair and that sounds so crazy to say out loud, but truly like if I'm building a pile now, I want the synergy of the deck and everything to flow into a point where it almost feels like I'm cheating, but I'm not. <laughs> like, I want people to look around at the deck and be like, there's no way it does that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it does. And I'm just going to do it. And that's going to suck for everybody else. But I'm just <laughs> going to keep doing it. Uh, and, and so that's something that I found out through just playing just casually, like from that high power going into, okay, cool. We're going to play with the best of the best. That's what I found out. Cause beforehand, I think, you know, I was way more of a like Timmy player, I guess is the term of just like, I want big, big spells, big creatures, big and, mm -hmm. and I want to swing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a lot of times in like 60 card, uh, you know, I, I was gravitating towards aggro strategies that did that before I got to like Yawgmoth combo. And then I like went up in, into, you know, the CDH realm. And I was like, no, I do like these like chaining uh, of spells and this kind of puzzle thing. That's really cool. And something that I probably would never have thought had I not had a, the space to play around with list because of the whole proxy friendly thing but also too is like other people helping me out and kind of seeing what was going on so yeah it's really cool i think that is i think that is really cool and it's neat to kind of see how these paths and progress and stuff like that which leads me into maybe our next point or my next question <clears throat> 
Kess was your first love that got you into CDH. You said, this is for me. I, I, I'm sold. I'm a believer. Kess is not really in so much considered the in-meta choice anymore since so much has evolved in the course of the time since Kess was considered what we call quote-unquote viable. I'm using a lot of asterisks and I'm using a lot of quotes <laughs> here because this is still very a subjective realm. But Kess has fallen out of favor. So talk to me and talk to us about how you feel about Kess now with so many Crixus partners out there and, you know, is this something you still stick with? Is this something you moved on from? Talk to me a little bit about that whole journey. Yeah, 100%. I think, so personally, Kess is still, I still have all of the cards. Um, like my, that first list, I bought a lot of those cards um, in paper and I have them, um, you know, throughout these years and it's, it's around, it's in my binder and stuff like that or in other decks, but um, it's there. I don't play it as much because of that thing of like it's fallen out of favor as well as i'm getting more into tournament grinding so i have to think about viability um outside of just you know do i want to have as much fun i still have fun but you know i also want to win i'm paying like 30 dollars to enter these things i'm not trying to you know sit around and shuffle spells um we try to say podcast over thanks choose tune in make sure to give us a review on apple podcasts or whatever and spotify <laughs> <laughs> next week they're gonna look up and it's like oh yeah zeb and, and ryan are yeah. <laughs> ryan and any random guest not dk welcome DK not gone. dk to the show <laughs> i'll tell you who's not the patron shout out not tk's mom that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. So I I have fallen away from like playing Kess as much, but if I am teaching other people how to play, and that's come up a lot, and they are wanting to play into the turbo meta meta of like Grixis and everything, I still think Kess is an amazing tool to teach people how to play that Grixis shell. Um, because I often liking it to it's the Grixis shell, but a little bit of like a leeway because of Kess's ability to where there is kind of this, okay, get cast out on the board, then do your Grixis stuff. And now if you try to combo and it doesn't work, don't worry, you can do it again. Um, and so it allows <laughs> to really like teach people, okay, proper window timing, because it's like, oh, that didn't work initially, but don't worry, you can still do that without being so much as punished as you would if you play, I don't know, Rock's Eye, you know, for your first time or, you know, other Grixis shells that are less forgiving. Um, for that reason so those times i will still pick it up and be like hey like yeah let me teach you kind of the ways to go about this and everything else um but as far as my personal playment with it that's kind of where it stops just because of you know the amount of time that i have to actually play the format and everything these days it, i i'm either playing for tournaments i'm playing for content or if i'm playing with my friends it's to practice for the next event or anything else too and so it tends to not come up as often, but it's still, every time I do sleeve it up to, you know, help somebody else out or anything else, it's still some of the most fun that I I've have. That's such an interesting concept. I actually love that because kind of in a way, what you're saying is, is that Kess is Grixis with training wheels mm. in a way. 
You're yeah. saying, hey, this allows for allows you to stumble a little bit more because you have Kess's ability and you don't have to make the decision trees of partners or have somebody have to explain to you. Well, Silas Wren is technically there for the colors and like you're like not all people coming from casual to CDH are always able to grok that super easily. They're like, wait, you see so you never cast Silas. You're like. Well, let me tell you about these super niche cases and, you, and and their eyes are just glazing over because you're like, oh, yeah, sometimes you cast it. But Kess doesn't have that problem. Kess yeah. has got the ability stapled right onto it and it's in the proper color. So you don't have to worry about the things that you do with timing in regards to some of the other Grixis uh partner pairs so like the idea of it being grixis with training wheels is a really cool concept i really like that a lot and i will probably start recommending kess to people even though it's not a you know what would be considered the modern grixis shell uh, or the modern grixis commander sorry um because it's a really good way to get into grixis in cdh without having to worry about the intricacies of partner pairings i like that a lot Absolutely. I appreciate Yeah, I it's been something that I've been using for for a minute uh, just because I've always made that recognition of like, oh, Kess's ability is something you can kind of lean on here. And because I can't tell you how many times I've had to I was trying to teach my buddies like, oh, yeah, how to play turbo. And we're playing Roxy and they're like, oh, I'm going to cast Silas and then I'm going to swing. And I'm like, why are you doing that? And they're like, oh, because I've got this uh, Lotus battle in the graveyard. I have three <laughs> like, men open. I have a jeweled Lotus. You're like, no, 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 but maybe. you can't no, blame them for having that line of reasoning. You know what I mean? You can't blame yeah. them for that because it's in the command zone. And mm. I understand. And that's, that's what I mean. It's one of those things you're like a lot of commander players who are moving into CDH that, you know, are trying to make heads or tails of these types of board states aren't always going to understand from the get go that yeah. intricacy and they'll learn it eventually. But you don't start with, you know, you don't start with algebra when you still need to learn the ABCs. You, you need to step into it. And then when it time when it comes time to get to the more advanced levels and stuff like that, it'll make perfect sense. But you just have to get your feet wet first. And I think Kess is a really cool way to do that. I love that idea. Yeah, absolutely. And I know there's going to be some people who are in the comments who are like, well, you can just start out. You gotta, you gotta go headstrong. That's how I learned it. And it's like, sure, yeah. you probably lost those first 20 games too. And that sucks. But hey, <laughs> you know, that's everybody's different. Everybody reacts to things differently. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's not to say that this is the one size fits all for everything because nothing in magic is like that across anything ever. You know, there are people that hate commander entirely and only play 60 card. Like uh, we're not saying that this is the only way to get in. We're saying that this is an interesting way for those who do love turbo to not be overwhelmed so quickly with all mm -hmm. the intricacies that goes into a deep deck, like a rog sigh or something to that effect. You can start with Cass get a feel for the format with that, you know, like I said, with the training wheels with being able to use Kess's ability and there's just one commander to cast and be able to then move to once you get that information and you start to internalize it, then you can move on to like the rock, the rock size. And a lot of times you'll probably be able to move on to the rock size by just switching Kess for rock side. Yeah. Like you yeah. probably can just do that. You'll probably just switch two cards and you're good to go. And because it's time for you to quote unquote take the training wheels off absolutely yeah and that that switch will probably be a lot easier because you've already mm -hmm. learned the you know 
building blocks of everything and you don't have to understand okay cool i cast rog and now i do paris paradise mantle okay where's the line here versus like there's a lot more intricacies for that and so that's kind of the role that Kess has evolved for in my space now is kind of being that it was my first deck if people want to learn turbo then i kind of push them towards that for those reasons as well today's podcast is sponsored by card conduit do you have extra cards lying around that you don't use want to buy or trade for some extra cards but don't know how to maximize the value then you should try out card conduit card conduit is the best service when it comes to selling your extra cards don't waste hours trying to find the best buy list price for your cards online. Simply send them to Card Conduit and let them take care of the rest. I've used Card Conduit multiple times already. I always use them to get the best value of my extra cards. I get fair prices for my cards and they save me tons of time. They have three main services. Their standard service lets you send them unsorted cards of any value. They will sort, grade, and give you the best buy list price for your cards. Their curated service is similar. Send them your unsorted cards worth over a dollar in value. They will charge half of the fee of the standard service and charge no fee per card. Their new sorted service is a great value as well. Choose cards in advance with their selection tool, send them sorted to Card Conduit, and they will grade and buy list them automatically. Save yourself the time of having to send to multiple sites and let Card Conduit do it instead. Their fee is only 2% with no fee per card. They give you the best price for your cards. They work with competitive buy listing partners, including ones not open to the public. Users get an average of 19% more for their collection than they would have from a major retail buy list, even with Card Conduit's fees. Card Conduit also optimizes buy listing for card condition as well. Since vendors have different penalties for wear and tear, Card Conduit will find the best buy list price against the specific condition of a card. So give Card Conduit a try today. If you sign up with my link in the show notes or the description or use the promo code POWER, you'll also get 10% off their fees when you use their service. A big thanks to Card Conduit for sponsoring today's podcast. I was going yeah, to I was going to flip it on you actually in terms of a question cuz now that has me thinking uh with you having played Goto for, you know, uh, your time in this format, how has the deck evolved in your time, you know, noticeably? And where is it from where it started then to like now? How has that transition been? Goto taught me a whole lot. <clears throat> and it also, it, it taught me a whole lot about CEDH. And it wasn't just because it was all the intricacies of Goto. Goto allowed me to sit at a table and understand on a lot deeper level than I think some of the other starting CDH decks would have done. Because when you're the threat at the table that needs to be answered, when you're the glass cannon that is easily disrupted, when you're the person who just says, herder, I'm going to count to 11 and win the game. And you, that is how you start because it's real easy to understand, especially in a complex format like this, <clears throat> you're going to learn a lot of lessons. Notice I didn't say you're going to make a lot of mistakes <laughs> because if you don't learn from this, it is a mistake. It's when you do learn that it becomes a lesson. And I learned a ton of lessons on Godot. <clears throat> My journey through CEDH came from always sitting down at the table and being like, okay, I've mulled to a Swords of Plowshares. Let's play the game now so I can stop Godot turn one, two, or three. And I had to learn CEDH from the perspective of being able to push through so many things. It helped me learn threat assessment, when to go for it, when to hold back, what the cards that were actually were worth countering were, because I saw many times at the table, 
someone would let something through and I'm like, that's the wrong thing to let through for me. You should not have let that through. And whereas before it was just like, yep, I'm at seven mana. Now I'm at nine mana. Oh, one more turn. I'm at 11 mana because that is how I started. But as I progressed along, there's a number of things that I learned by sticking to this deck that not everyone was able probably to do when they started with a deck and then moved on to something else. And this not isn't, um, this isn't just a lesson you learn when you're starting. It's a lesson that you learn when you're just going deep on any CDH deck. And that's really a good takeaway is that the more you play it, the better you'll understand where things lie in your roles at the table. Not only, hey, just a basic understanding of every card in your deck. I can't tell you the amount of times people have tutored and be like, did I put that card in there? Is that card? Let me search for this answer. Maybe this will be an answer for me. That happens all the time. It's because they don't play the deck a whole lot. They don't go really, really deep on that particular deck. Well, I've had, I've been playing this deck for four plus years. I have a really good understanding of what I can do and what I can't do at a table. And it allowed me to understand a lot of things that, other people don't at first glance. Everyone sees Goto as a count to 11 and win the game deck. <clears throat> Goto can do so much more than that, but you don't know that because that is that is your heuristic when you identify what Goto is and what Goto's role is at the table. That's what you internalize and say, okay, I know what I need to do there and then I need to formulate my game plan. I had to do the same thing, but I had to do it in mono red. And when you're in a monocolor mono or a restrictive color, let's say you're in Gruul or let's say you're in Azorius or something like that, you have to learn magic in a way that's different than a lot of other players. Because when you learn these things from a restrictive color, it breeds creativity. It breeds, um, it breeds being able to better threat assess certain things. I only have two counter spells in my whole deck, maybe three. You know, I don't, I don't have the ability to counter everything. So you have to understand when you should counter something to save a table, when you should just hold up the counter to, you know, uh, try and protect your win. It helps you become better at assessing those things. And having that and going so deep on that for so long that when I finally did branch out into other things, I found myself at a really good position to be able to pick it up very quickly. When I started to play in the worlds of blue and stuff like that, and people who have known the channel for a long time know I don't hardly ever play blue. And when I do play blue, um, I, I hardly ever counter anything. <laughs> Unless it's like a win attempt on the stack. I don't ever. I'll be like, well, I don't care what it is. It resolves. Whatever. Oh, you want to draw nine cards? It resolves. Whatever it is. Oh, you want to do this? It resolves. Unless it's literally like game over winning right here. I never counter it because I've learned in the because of being on the opposite side of it, learning from Goto, I've learned what is and is not truly important to winning the game. Yeah. 100%. And, and while you were saying that too, I was like, wow, that's kind of crazy because on the flip side as someone who, you know, Kess was my first deck, but it wasn't necessarily what I, it, it doesn't translate to the play style that I play now as much. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, those are lessons in terms of like th accurate threat assessment and like knowing window theory, like essentially when to go for the win and, and things of that mm -hmm. nature that I didn't learn until like, we're talking like years in essentially like th those are things mm -hmm. that I can feel myself now having. I, I could say I'm pretty good at, you know, 
doing mid game. But had you asked me, you know, or, or put me in situations, uh, you know, I would say even as far back as six months ago, you know, um, on like being able to accurately threat assess certain a, a pods, even pods, like a lot of people put threat assessment onto the idea of, oh, I know what this deck is because it's one of the top decks in the format. So I can accurately know what to play. Okay, cool. But that's not going to be every pod. Threat assessment to me is being able to do that uh, against, I don't know, Yannette, Kess, and uh, Animar. <laughs> like, do you know how to play against those? You don't see those all the time. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so those are skills that, like, to your point, you were able to pick up on a lot faster than probably most people because you were able to stick with this deck and really understand like the intricacies of it. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't do. <laughs> just like, it's just not the case. If, if a deck doesn't really click that first time for a lot of people, uh, I know this because I, I am that person, uh, you know, it's like, okay, cool. Putting it apart. Uh, these are the staples is build something else. Um, Yep. Just throw this out. This will totally get in my very organized pile on my desk for three years. <laughs> exactly. And move Ask it and me how I know. <laughs> you'll find it later and you're like, oh, yeah, oh, I remember this. That's cool. I didn't even know I had a copy of this. And so you. <laughs> oh, man, I've got three. Oh, it's because I bought it twice because I lost it. Yeah. The amount of times I have went to like card kingdom or tcg player and bought a card that i know i've had like a full play set of i just don't want to look for it <laughs> yeah insane. Yep. Uh, a lot of us are guilty of that that is for sure you <laughs> yeah. know but yeah to your point that's something that you were able to learn and i know that that's something that for me and other players who are like me who just are like yeah you know i'm just gonna jump from deck to deck because this isn't working this isn't working without really putting in the time and the effort and the reps into a deck to really learn it you know uh that's really awesome that's awesome that you were able to get that for sure yeah i think i was fortunate I, like i said i was lucky to have stuck with goto as long as i did um and we're not saying that jumping around on different decks is a bad thing by any stretch we know that that's what a lot of people who like commander's flavor is they love brewing they always love mm. experimenting they love trying new things it's fresh it's new it's you know it's it's fun new experiences and stuff and we're not saying there's anything wrong with that but we're also saying is we challenge you to also have one that you're going to go deep on because you will find a level of enjoyment that you did not find when you jump around from deck to deck not saying stop jumping i'm saying also as well as jumping try and say this is a deck that I want to go deep on. I want to know every line of everything down to like what the flavor text is on these things. And I want to know in every situation, how will this card in my hand interact with what's going on? And having that deep level of understanding, I would say is kind of like you said earlier, it feels like cheating. Like, you know, you see all these different circumstances where you're just like, you can almost like x-ray vision the table because of the knowledge of your deck. You can almost see x-ray vision of what cards are left in your library, what what interactions are working with the cards on your battlefield, and being able to just understand that thing because you are so well-versed with this deck feels so satisfying. It is so much fun to do that. When I broke through the count to 11 barrier in Godo. I had fun with it up until that point, but 
I fell in love with it and became obsessed with it when I broke through into that part of it. And I, if you have not done that with a deck yet, I highly encourage you to at least give it a shot. It is worth it, in my opinion. Absolutely. And you see the difference, not just when you as a pilot, but you'll see it with other people as well. When I play against, for example, when I play against higher, when I play against Alex and he's playing Kenan oh, versus yeah. other decks, you can tell he knows every single card. He knows every single line. He, there is not ever a point where he is sweating uh, over anything. Um, especially in pods where there's other decks that he may not be as knowledgeable about. It doesn't matter. He knows and trusts his build to a point where, okay, you're playing that and that stacks me out in this way. Okay, cool. Mm, think about it for a second. Okay, cool. I know exactly how to get out of this. And that's something that comes with reps. And that's something that you can tell from a lot of players, you know, who have really taken the time. And so that's really great that you were able to get that out of Goto for sure. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I think a good question to ask is kind of piggybacking off of that. When do you think it might be time to say new deck? I loved you. Uh, it's been great, but it's time to move on to the next thing. You know, you have this experience because you had Kess and you loved Kess. You got into CDH because of Kess, but then eventually you said it's time to move on you know, from Cass into other things. Tell me at what point did you, and maybe tell the other people for ways to look out for this. When did you think it was probably time to say, I appreciate you. I have maybe outgrown you. It's time to move on. What were some things that indicated that? Yeah, absolutely. I think with Cass specifically, it was kind of twofold because there was the competitive aspect of it, of me trying to go to tournaments and not getting the results I wanted. Uh, that almost was like an external cue of like, okay, maybe it's time I switch something up. Maybe I update this more. Maybe I, you know, switch the face commander and try the shell in a different variant. Um, that tells you, you know, and a lot of times that's a lot easier to, have it's the world telling you all right buddy it's time to pack this up that's you yeah. know yeah that's mm -hmm. different um but there's also i think it comes down to this is still a format in which you are spending your time your money your everything into so i think it comes down to for me are you still having fun um and, and is it that same fun you know and, and i know that probably is hard to gauge for some people but you know you, you know, when you're sleeving up a, a deck or you're sitting at a pod and you're like, okay, cool. I'm, we got this, this person's on this, this person's on this, this person's on this. And I'm here with, for example, Cass. Am I excited? Do I want to play this game? <laughs> Do I want to see, you know, what my mulligans are? Am I excited to see that? Or am I dreading it because I already know it's about to be a slog? Am I dreading it because I know I'm not going to have fun? And I think... I very much have that sense now of when I'm getting tired of a build, not just because of, oh, I'm getting tired of it because I played it so much on the channel or I'm getting tired of it because I am, you know, playing so much of it with my friends because that doesn't necessarily mean it's not fun to me just because it's not shiny and new. Uh, what dictates not being fun to me is my level of excitement to shuffle it up. Um, whether or not uh, there is 
a satisfaction from winning with it or doing certain lines. Um, Cause you can see the light die in somebody's eyes when they're not having fun with the deck and they're, they mm-hmm. might be winning, you know, and they're comboing off. They're like, yeah. And I'll cast breach and yeah, I'll recast into a shot. Yeah. yeah. Breach. Cool. Good. We good. And then everyone's like, yeah, okay. Exactly. And it's like, cool. Yeah. you got the results, but like, is it pushing you? Is it, making you want to be better a better player and are you having you know are you enjoying yourself because if i'm not enjoying myself playing this stuff i don't care if it's for content i don't care if it's in a tournament i don't care what facet of it is i'm not doing it i don't have to i mean i have to i'm employed but i don't have to (laughs) i do have to but i don't have to sit there and play this deck specifically you know Mm -hmm. ryan is not sitting over our shoulders and telling us you have to play numbers like no i chose to do that (laughs) that's something that i wanted to do (laughs) nice cover thanks tk appreciate that (laughs) it's exactly how we rehearsed it (laughs) <laughs> everybody's in the comments like no there's no way there's no way you would play numbers of choice yeah like <laughs> you would choose to play numbers that's right exactly. sorry all three numbers players out there my bad yeah, yeah super sorry snake I, I i'm putting on for you i, I apologize but yeah yeah, yeah there's I, I think nobody has to force you to play that and so if for some reason, for whatever reason it be, it is, maybe it's not exciting anymore. You just are not challenging yourself. I, I know I'm a person that is very much, if a deck is not pushing me to want to learn it better and or learn the meta in a way that interacts with that deck and push myself to be a better player, then I am I find myself being less fulfilled. Um, and I think that's why I'm, I'm playing Kinnon right now and I'm having so much fun with it because it's one of those decks that, like you said, it, people respect. And so you sit down and you are automatically like, okay, we have to deal with Kinnon. And that is something that I enjoy and pushes me to be a better player because, if you know, if I sit down with a Kess deck now, most people are not going to respect that deck. If I sit down with a Yannette deck right now, people are not going to respect that deck. And so a lot of times your wins can come easy because as long as you know what you're doing, everybody else is going to let stuff fly. But if I sit down with a Kinnon deck right now, it doesn't matter what is in that deck. It could be, you know, all just goo goo gaga, different, like, you know, a shell that nobody has ever tried before. People are so scared Mm -hmm. of that commander specifically that you are automatically the target. And now that puts pressure on me to figure out how to interact with things in ways that other commanders probably wouldn't. Um, And that's what challenges me. So, yeah. Yeah, and I really want to piggyback off of that because I think it's also a really good point to bring up is that when you do go deep on a deck or when you do find your love that gets you into it, you'll find yourself starting to wane after a while. I experienced this with Godot. I was like, this just isn't the deck I want to bring out. It It, it is a one trick pony uh, in what it does, you know, like it's one way to get there. You know, a lot of Grixis shells, there's a lot of different paths to get to your conclusion and you do a lot of game actions to do it, but like Goto doesn't do that. And so I found myself starting to get a little tired of it, a little bored of it. Be like, yeah, Goto. Oh, it got stopped. Yeah, Goto. Oh, it resolved. Yeah, Goto. And, and it was just the kind of the same thing. And 
a lot of times that leads people to go ahead and say it's time to move on from that. And there's a lot of circumstances when that is 100% the right thing to do. I've figured out who I was as a CEDH player. I realized that I do want to play it in this way, and that deck doesn't really do that. So I'm going to go ahead and pivot to over here. But there's other times when it's okay to just take a break from it. And going into what you said, you know, when you kind of went really deep on a deck, you start to really become a master of it. And you kind of always want to push yourself and challenge yourself to do new things and try other stuff for variety and just, you know, try and self-improvement in areas, whether or not you're tournament grinding. I did the same thing. I said, okay, Goto is good. I'm not going to take it apart, but I'm going to put it on the shelf for a bit. And I'm going to try Mad Farm. I'm going to try Timna Jessica. It's actually my second favorite deck. And we, we, we're not going to need to go into all the intricacies of that. But what it was, was it was like, okay, I really like those play styles i really like doing all that stuff and i really still like really having red be a heavy influence in what i'm doing here um and so i was like okay i'm gonna go ahead and i'm gonna give this tim Jessica deck a try and i had that spark and that love that i had when i originally started playing goto and i was like oh this is an amazing deck i have such a great time with it and i will play both of those decks throughout a common evening sitting down at the commander table. I don't just play one or I don't just play the other. Um, they both scratch different itches and they both do each one very well. And so when the time had come, when I had played enough Mad Farm or Tim Jessica, I said, it's time to pick up Goto again and keep going with it. And I think that's also a very healthy thing to do. Uh, you briefly mentioned Nemrus there, so I'm wondering if that might be what it is for you. But Tim Jessica was mine. And those are the still the two decks that I keep intact to this very day. My third deck is usually a rotating deck. Right now it's like Yuriko, for example. But that it's not always Yuriko. Sometimes it's other things. But Tim Jessica and Goto Bandit Warlord are kind of my two core decks that I always love. They both do different things, but they both still cater to my, you know, fast, go quick play style of things. And they both do it in different ways, which I was, which is what I love. And I, and this just, and that's what I do. So it's not just one deck forever, but I do currently do run between the two different decks. Absolutely. I love that you brought that up because that's something that I think a lot of people fall into the trap of it's like oh i just don't like this deck anymore so i'm gonna throw it away and yep. sometimes it's just as simple as go out and touch grass buddy you've been playing <laughs> magic ball, you know for You're playing 20... goto for two years buddy let's branch out a little <laughs> you know <laughs> like you've been exactly. playing magic for 27 hours out of the day that's not even possible how are you doing that maybe let's <laughs> pause and take a break and yeah nimrus was one of those things for me because at the time i was Still playing Grixis Chorus. I was playing Rogsai. And uh, I remember when I found out about Nimbus, we were doing Mox Masters casting. And, um, and Snake had got to the end with it. I think that was, I want to say. It was a, a number of months back. Yes. A number of months <laughs> yeah, back. <laughs> yeah. and, and I remember going on the internet and talking with Memo and, and Cal. And I was like, dude, this is and that was like me following it with it too yannette is actually another deck that was that for me from kess i played kess throughout and i was like 
hmm, it's not just not really kicking anymore. I don't know what to do. And so in my transition from turning Kess into Rockside, which is what happened with Kess for me, I went and took Kess out apart. I put it on the shelf. I was like, okay, we'll go back to it at some point. And I'm going to play around with some other play styles while I figure out what I want to do with that. Um, Cause I had already bought most of the deck. I was like, okay, cool. I need these cards. Uh, I'm not just going to have them sit. I paid good money. We're going to do something with these. Yeah. I, and especially in a Grixis core. That's exactly. a lot of money. I was like, yeah. Yeah, dude, I didn't pay all this money for these tutors for nothing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I switched to Yannette cryptic sovereign, which is a card that probably nobody is, is like, there's a lot of people who are like huh but uh for just the timing purposes it's uh it was tibet before tibet um essentially that's a good way to put it actually yeah yeah same colors uh same thing on combat damage trigger and you get to flip the top and if it's an odd cmc you get to put it on the ground and it did everything i wanted to do i felt like a boss I felt like a final boss when I'm sitting down. I'm dealing tons of damage. So it spoke to that Timmy side of me as well, because it's a big creature. It's a big sphinx. And I'm also cheating things into play. I flip ad nauseum. I'm still doing the ad nauseum thing. It was great. Um, and I played Yannette forever. I That's where I still have, like most of my Esper core is still from that deck. I didn't buy anything different because I've had the deck just on hand in different parts all the time. And... That deck gave me a breath of fresh air of realizing, okay, A, what else do I like to play? As well as allowing me to go back, look at Kess, and be like, okay, this is how I'm going to evolve this. Switch to the Rock'sai. And those are the decks that I've been playing, essentially, outside of like the stuff that I've made for the channel and you know my other brewing experiences and things for tournaments now. Those are the decks that I, I've got in, in paper here. And it's all because being able to take a step back and really realizing, okay, I have burnt out, I think is the best term. Because I don't want to say tired, because the love is still there that you built. It's just that after a while, you get to a point where, you know, you, you're in this motion. It's robotic. It's no longer feels human. You're not really going through it the same way that you are. And yeah, so, it's I always yeah. call it. It's not a dance anymore. You're not you're Absolutely. not dancing with your deck anymore. You're just kind of operating the deck. Yeah, 100 percent. And so being able to know when it's time to take that pause and take that break is great. Um, another deck that I do that with is Yuriko. I have a hundred dollar budget Yuriko deck that is CDH mm. that I bring out with me a when people want to try out cdh and they uh don't i don't feel comfortable giving them this thousand dollar deck about only a thousand that must be your budget deck <laughs> only a thousand dollars wow yeah <laughs> absolutely or you know i just am like oh somebody else needs a deck here you go take this um and that's a deck that i switch around to a lot and, and i switch between like three decks at a time and um those three decks are kind of what i try to train up on and 
whenever I get tired of one, then I have another one. Instead of me hopping between lists and not growing with them, I'm able to at least have that space to really expand myself and not get burnt out so easily. So yeah, with that being said, then um, I guess it's cool to kind of point to the viewers, you know, the listeners here. Um, what are the decks that you feel like you love? If you could play one deck, for the rest of your life everybody's like oh you only get one and that's it um what would that deck be uh i'm assuming ryan yours would be goto it would be uh, goto yep fair fair assessment mm-hmm. i think mine currently would i'd probably go to roxai i think roxai or Kess, uh that grixis shell mm-hmm. i think i can't really get tired of it the the uh, there's so many ways you can get to, it's the same two lines, but <laughs> there's so many ways you can get to the lines. It's, oh, it mm-hmm. never gets tiring for me, for sure. But yeah, uh, that has been our discussion. Uh, thank you guys so much. Make sure to give us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast aggregator. You'd be surprised at how much it helps. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and more. All of the links are in the episode notes or the link below. And yeah, that wraps it up for this episode of the podcast. Tune in next time when we talk more about our favorite format and our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Thank you so much for watching and listening, and we will see you next time.